0: I know it just seems kind of weird that if you go to some other church this month, they're probably going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. And here I am talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. So uh, just the way we roll around here, we're we've been going through the Gospels and we're just now getting to the point where he's getting to the the cross. So uh, I could halt and go back and talk about what we talked about 81 weeks ago or I can continue on with what we're doing. So let's continue on. Just to, to back up where we left off last Sunday, we were in John chapter 19. And for those of you that are guests with us, we're, I've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've chronologically put them together. It's not something that I did. It's naturally uh, what they've done over the years. And we've processed walked our way through this, and so that's what we're doing today. So we'll skip around a lot today, but it'll all be in chronological order. Luke was the only book of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that actually was in chronological order because he was a doctor, and he probably was a little OCD. But the rest of them just told their stories, and they weren't necessarily in order, and you'll, you'll see a little bit of that here this morning as well. So we left off in John chapter 19 and what had happened was Pilate was the governor in charge. He was put in charge by Sejanus, who was a Roman authority. And you heard of what happened to Sejanus last week, but he tried to power up and he eventually was killed. He was arrested, sentenced and killed in the same day by Caesar. So, uh, now he's got his men, his own his own brood in charge there in Jerusalem, and Pilate is the one. Jesus has already gone to Pilate once, went to Herod, and now he went back to Pilate. And Pilate, you try to figure out what is Pilate's deal in this whole thing, and he's really he's really like a, a, a normal man. He's more concerned about himself than he is anything else. He's more concerned about his position. And honestly, the, the Jewish nation, the leaders there, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're all considered uh, considering their positions. We don't want to lose our position. What we receive from that position, the authority that we have the the finances that we have all of our belongings that we have if this all comes crashing down then we lose everything that we have pilots in the same boat the jewish leaders are in the same boat and jesus has come along and said all these things over three years which has stirred the waters and the best thing for both of those groups to do is just get rid of jesus how do you just get rid of this guy? We don't believe that, Jews didn't believe that he was the Messiah, didn't believe that he was the Savior. And we left off last week with Pilate talking to the Jewish leaders, and it says this in verse uh, 15. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And the Jewish leader's response was, we have no king but Caesar. <laughs> and we said, they just blew it because that was considered blasphemy. The Jews believed that God was their only leader. They just said, we have no leader. The Jews just says we have no leader other than Caesar. Pilate went, what did you just say? Did I hear you correct? You said Caesar's your only leader. Wait till this gets back to Rome. I just wash my hands of the whole deal. I'm out of this thing. You guys are going to crucify Jesus. You said Caesar's your only leader. I win. I win. That's where we left off. So now we pick up in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. It says, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting, instead he took some water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. There's a Great illustration right there in front of you as he takes the water and he literally says this, because if they can't hear him, he's saying, I am clean from this decision. This is your decision, not mine. Totally wash my hands of the whole thing. Now, you know that Pilate's wife came to him and said, hey, this man is righteous. You need not to convict him. But Pilate didn't have a choice. Didn't want to lose his position. So now that he's like washed his hands of this whole thing, he's got a situation and you go, well, was Pilate... Did he really believe that Jesus might have been the Messiah? Do you think he had a clue? Mm -hmm. Watch, if we turn to Acts chapter 4... Acts chapter 4, this is like after Jesus has died, after Jesus has been buried, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, after Jesus returns and hangs out with his disciples, after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. We look at Acts chapter 4, and this is what the people thought about Pilate. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed what did the believers who believed that Jesus was the messiah think about pilate is that he was absolutely against Jesus so no matter what happens there i wash my hands of this he's still not innocent in the people's minds pilate you're guilty No matter what, you're guilty. And then we jump back, Matthew 27, verse 25. It says, all the people answered. This is after Pilate washed his hands. All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Wow. That's rough. I mean, to me that's my Messiah, that's my rabbi, teacher, that's my Savior, my my Savior. And to say that His blood is on us and on our children, uh, that's a pretty big deal. The Jewish leaders literally have now accused Jesus of performing miracles under the power of Beelzebub back in Matthew. He had done all these miracles, and they blasphemed Jesus to his face and said, these things that you're doing, you're doing under the spirit of the devil. And the Jewish leaders didn't believe that he was the Messiah that he said he was. And the Jewish leaders taught the followers that being the Jewish nation. And just like you, they believed their teacher. the Jewish nation didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because their leaders didn't believe that He was the Messiah. And therefore, the blood of that Jewish nation was on their hands. (laughs) We know that it was on their hands because we can look in history and go back and see in 70 A.D. Titus came in and he just, Tiberius came in and he actually destroyed the Romans, or excuse me, Tiberius was a Roman and destroyed the Jews. How many Jews did he destroy in 70 A.D.? 1.1 million Jews died in 70 A.D. So when they sit there and say, his blood is on our hands, that was really a form of prophecy. These Jewish nation continued to believe their Jewish leaders. And they were wrong for it. Now, uh, let me get personal with you real quick. What is my responsibility as a teacher? (laughs) Is that really my responsibility to teach the truth? To encourage you to study? Oh, you guys are like coming out. You guys are putting putting the weight on me here. Point, point you towards Jesus. It lightens the load a little bit. <laughs> what? Listen to my spirit. Oh, you really lighten the load right there. Thank you. What? Provide. Oh, here comes the, the knowledge guy in the back. He says provide facts. How do you know my facts are right? What if I'm just Googling them out of Wikipedia or something? (laughs) Dan, don't become dependent on me. Did everybody hear that? Do not become dependent on me as your teacher. I'll do my best, but I promise you sometimes I will mess up. And I will not speak the truth to you. And therefore, it's really your deal to go figure out if I'm telling you the truth. I believe that with all my heart. If, honestly, you just come here and hang out on Sunday morning and you're not figuring this thing out on your own, we're both dropping the ball. My last paragraph in my notes every Sunday is this. Understanding the Spirit's role... How would you communicate this message if your 18-year-old son had made up his mind to walk away from everything you have taught him morally, ethically, and theologically unless he had a compelling reason not to? Every day I get up here, that's the understanding of how I'm going to teach this word. It's not my responsibility to make this thing come alive to you. That's the Spirit's deal. The pressure is off me. My deal is to get into this, to read it, and to study it, and to present it. It's your deal to figure out what the Spirit is saying in the Word. Don't follow me. You can listen to me. But go check it out in the Word. Just think if the Jewish people, and some of the Jewish people did that. Some of the people went and checked it out and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Not every Jewish person died in 70 A.D. Some actually became followers. We see it throughout and we will continue to see it as we study. You need to grow in your spiritual maturity, where you where you can consistently hear the message from not just me, but other people, and you're able to filter it through all 66 books. Look, you're going to hear a lot of sermons in your lifetime, and not just from me. And I pray that, you know, uh, Corey, I'm glad he's here, glad he's with me, and I'm able to teach him. But Chloe, she's down in Nashville and she's going to some church and I don't know what they're teaching. But I pray to God that she's able to take what they're teaching her and be able to filter it through 66 books and go penalty flag, penalty flag, that's not right, that's not right. But she has to know the word to be able to do that. So take all 66 books and make sense out of it. he said his blood be on us and on our children. That's a tough one. I take you to Luke 23, verse 24. It says, So Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. Pilate Release Barabbas. Last week some of you were just amazed that you learned what the name Barabbas means. Bar Abba, son of the Father. That literally Pilate released the Son of the Father so that the Son of the Father could be crucified. No coincidence. Barabbas was arrested for insurrection. Going totally against the Roman authority and for murder, and he got released. Unfair. It says, But he, Pilate, handed Jesus over to their will. Back to Matthew 27, verse 26. Verse 26. Says, then he released Barabbas to them and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Now this is exactly what I'm talking about. You go, know, wait, well we talked about Pilate flogging Jesus last week. Does he flog him again a second time? No. This is where Matthew's not necessarily in chronological order. Said he had him flogged, but now he's talking about him being crucified. He's already been scourged by Pilate, but not a second time. i read to you uh, again from a history book of Eusebius. This is not Bible. This is history. It says, It is proper also to observe how it is asserted that this same Pilate, who was governor at our Savior's crucifixion in the reign of Calus, Whose times we are recording fell into such calamities that he was forced to become his own murderer and the avenger of his own wickedness. What did that just say? Divine justice, it seems, did not long protract his punishment. This is stated by the Greek historians who have recorded the Olympiads in order together with the transactions of the times. You know what that just said? What happened to Pilate eventually? He took his own life. He was his own murderer. He was his own avenger. The man was so messed up after this that he took his own life. Go to Mark chapter 15, verse 16. It says the soldiers led him away into the palace that is, the governor's residence, and called the whole company together, the Roman cohort. Jump back to Matthew 27, verse 28. It says, They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail the King of the Jews! Then they spat on him. Took the staff and kept hitting him on the head. (laughs) Took a crown of thorns. Where did the thorns come from? Where did the thorns come from? Came from the ground. Guess guess where the thorns came from? Came from Adam. There weren't thorns in the garden until Adam fell. Until Adam sinned. You you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. In relation to, to Adam's sin, he's already sinned here. This is what God did. He cursed the ground. God cursed the ground. He says, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Is it ironic or is it... They took thorns from that resulted from man's sin and put it on our Savior's head. Hmm. Coincidence? It all works together. All 66 books work together. I promise you. It, if you can't see this, if you can't see this, like, how can you read this thing and go, it's not true, it's not true, it's all a made-up story. Are you kidding me? I don't care if if different man wrote this thing. It all ties together. God used those men to write this book and it works together to make sense. And it's true. It's crazy. They put the crown of thorns, which was a curse... On what Paul says in Galatians chapter three, the man became our curse." Verse 31 says, "After they mocked him, oh, let me go to Mark 15:20. Mark 15:20 says, "After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, and they put his clothes on him." Now to John nineteen seventeen. It says carrying the cross by himself, he went out to a place called place of the school, which is Aramaic called Gagatha. Now uh, we got to go to Israel. I've been twice now, once with Corey and Micah in 2012 and this last year with a group from Levener. And honestly, we're looking at going again here in 2020. We're talking about it. It's not planned yet. But we went to Gagatha and let me show you this one picture. It says they took him to a place of the skull. And this is the place of the skull. This is what we believe is Golgotha. We have no idea. Think about this for a second. If Israel right now consists of uh, Jews and Christians and Muslims. Jews and Christians and Muslims. Um, the Christians would be the only ones that would be concerned about the, the things of Jesus. Jews and Muslims, not so much. So whatever property is owned. Uh, by those people. They build stuff on top of them. Now watch this. The place of the skull, I don't know if you can see, an eyeball here and an eyeball there for you back there in the corner, and there's a nose here. This is in 2018. This is a current picture. If you go back just six years when we were there in 2012, Watch this. This is my picture that I took. Yeah. The nose has now fallen off. You see it? I don't know if you back there can see the the TV screen there, but right above the end of that bus, they put a parking lot there. Isn't that crazy? But you see two eyes, and you see a nose. That nose in the last six years has fallen off. So what did it look like 2,000 years ago if just in the last six years a nose has fallen off? Hmm. Is that the place? Not for sure. Look. Zoom in. Isn't that crazy? It says that they took him to this place called the place of the skull. It had to be outside of the walls of Jerusalem. They had to like crucify him outside. This is just outside the walls. We don't know. There's two places. The, the The Protestants go to this place, and the Catholics have a different place. And guess what? The Catholics did. They built a church on top of it. <laughs> That's what they do. All the historic places in Israel, the Catholics just build a church on top of it. It's the way. It, it's the way it is. But the Protestants typically typically go to this place. And we stood at one place, and from this place, we actually walked into a garden and walked into the tomb. It's a pretty incredible experience. Now, I jump to Mark chapter 15, verse 21. It says, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. You read right through that every time. You see, they made this man carry Jesus' cross because they didn't want Jesus to die before he got there. They needed Jesus to die on the cross. And so they had this man from Cyrene, Cyrene being from a place in Africa. Watch this. Again, you guys can't see over there, but the bottom of this little peninsula right here is where Cyrene is. This is Egypt all to the left. Israel right here, Jerusalem being right here. So this man was from Cyrene from Africa had come all the way up to Jerusalem to be a part of this process. Pretty crazy, right? Now (laughs) I was with some friends last night eating some, some college students Make make this story make sense here real quick. But they asked me, uh, "What's the most famous person that you've met?" I'm like, "How do you answer that question? Uh, what's famous? First of all, I've met a lot of people. I've sh- uh, I've shook a president's hand. I've uh, met celebrities, athletes. You know, hung out with Josh Hamilton, and I-, I can sit here and go through a whole list of people. But the the one story that I went to was when I was in seminary, back in the day, back in the 80s, back in the 80s, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And so when I went to seminary, I moved to Dallas and I started working at Park City's Baptist Church. I was just an intern. I was passing out balls and skates while I was studying. I worked in the gym. I was an intern. And one day, the pastor of this mega church, the secretary calls and says, Rusty, you need to come to the pastor's office. I'm like, oh, Dr. Plights wants me to come to his office. What is that all about? I didn't even know he knew my name. So I'm like, just everything going through my head at that time. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going into his office. I wonder what he wants. And I walked in there, and you would not believe what I walked into. Standing there in the office with Dr. Plights, was Coach Tom Landry of the Dallas Cowboys. He goes, Rusty, I know you're a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I just wanted you to meet my friend Tom. That's the most famous person I've ever met. (laughs) That's old. How young I was. Yeah, you like my dress, my shirt. Uh, both of those men are with Jesus now, which is, which is a pretty cool picture. But I tell you that for a reason. Because of Rufus. It says, he was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and of Rufus. Well, who in the world is Rufus? Go to Romans chapter 16, verse 13 and watch this. Paul wrote on his third missionary journey this letter to the church in Rome, and he makes reference right here. Watch. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Meet Rufus and his mother. Also, mine. Now, this wasn't Paul's physical mother. He believed that you could have spiritual mothers. You look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. So he's referring to Rufus' mother as a spiritual monk for him. It's important. But this is all we know about Simon of Cyrene. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Rufus was a believer in Jesus Christ because Paul was all excited about him. So, he comes home. Simon comes home to his son Rufus. Says, guess what I did today? I met a famous person. In fact, I carried his cross. It's crazy. I remember it for the rest of my life. I carried Jesus' cross. Rufus looks at his dad and sees how important it is to his dad. And it impressed him enough to follow Jesus the rest of his life. Now, I'll, I'll finish on this. I want to lighten your load here for a second. Because you go back to that verse in Matthew, Matthew 16 24, that most of you grew up in those sermons, and if you don't filter this, it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And all the days of your early life, you've been told that you have to pick up your cross on a daily basis and carry it. Let me free you up today. What Keith said in the beginning, Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. People, I died with Christ on that cross. That's not my opinion, that's what the Scripture says. I, I get it. I was born 2,000 years later, but I literally, the moment that I believed, I died with Jesus on that cross. And the only cross that I have to carry is that cross of Jesus. So every day I get up and go, I'm dead to myself, but I'm alive in Christ. I literally, it, it, there's not a burden to carry a cross. There's not a burden for me to carry a cross. My cross is His cross. It's a done deal. I now have a life in Christ. And I wake up every morning with a new life as a new creation. That's the beauty of this whole... That's why He's going through this whole thing right here. This What we're talking about this next... It's all so you can just enjoy... Life that you can have a great time during the holidays in the midst of your grief and your chaos and everything else that's going on. He just wants you to have life in Him. Let Me do your life for you. I'll do it through you. In you, trust Me. That's what this whole thing is about. (coughs) All this that we're talking about, all this that makes sense right here. Yet. We have a tendency, as Keith talked about in our flesh, to do it on our own. Good luck with that. Occasionally, I I try to go back to that. Occasionally. Keep learning the lesson. But the more I trust Him, the more beautiful this journey gets. The more beautiful it gets. The adventure really does become an adventure. Father, my prayer is that uh, as we go through the holidays and we uh, we think about you coming here as a baby, that we just remember that you came here uh, so that we can understand what it means to live our lives by another life which is what you did with your father. Teach us. Let us trust you to live your life in us. Be the greatest Christmas gift of all. I pray that for my friends, that we can take your word, read it, figure it out, understand it and appropriate it for our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.